If you've ever felt isolated, confused, or overwhelmed by midlife changes, you're not alone. Welcome to Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. I'm so happy you're here. I'm the author of Me, Myself, and I, a midlife coach and public speaker. My mission is to create deeper conversations with dynamic people from all walks of life about how midlife's completely shifted who they thought they were and ultimately how they've come to see themselves again. When it comes to navigating the funky junk of midlife identity loss and the unnamed grief that goes along with it, it's time for straight talk. Get ready for real stories, real connection, and real hope accompanied by a little bit of humor and a whole lot of love. You're now part of Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. This week, I'm excited to have on as my guest, Barry Kibrick. Barry Kibrick is a three-time Emmy winner for Best Host and Show for his series Between the Lines with Barry Kibrick. The program aired on PBS for 24 years. During that time, Barry had conversations with amazing guests, including Queen Noor of Jordan to Secretary of State Warren Christopher and tons of other amazing people, including world literary giants like Ray Bradbury, James Elroy, Anne Rice, and hundreds of others. Plus, he's had guests on from the film industry like Ron Howard, Sir Ridley Scott, and many, many others. In January of 2020, he created a new show strictly for his YouTube channel called Just Between Us. I've watched it. I love it. It's been amazing to see Barry really get to the heart of the matter of people's wisdom and inspiration. It's been one of my favorite things to watch. One of Barry's most exciting accomplishments was that in 2019, he was a recipient of the Ellis Island Medal of Honor for his enriching and entertaining programs. This award was given to people like Muhammad Ali, political and influential business people, and seven U.S. presidents. An award like that doesn't happen by accident. He's quality, he's interesting, and he happens to be a family member whom I love, him and his family. But he's also been one of the most inspirational, wise people I know. So I'm thrilled to have on my show, Barry Kibrick. Welcome to Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. I'm thrilled my guest today is one of my favorite people. His name is Barry Kibrick, and he has done a host of things through his award, Emmy Award winning show, Between the Lines, for what, 27 years? How many years was it? 24 years now. 24 years. And he's spoken to some of the world's leaders and athletes and actors and authors and luminaries and just a range of fascinating people. Is the questions that you've asked about how they see themselves, what they've discovered. So one of my favorite things about you is the way in which you have willingness to go a little deeper. Thank you. I appreciate that. It's not only willingness, it's, it's, it's more of a mission, actually. The way I actually do it is not by questioning. It's by engaging in conversation with the things that mean most to me. So it's sort of uh, very different than an interview concept. 
It's more of a probing via my thoughts and what either they spoke about, read, or wrote. And I do the same thing now in my new show, Just Between Us, exclusively on my YouTube channel, where again, I am talking directly to the viewer and I am not questioning, but I am telling and letting them know what's the most important thing to me. What's great about you is that when you have a guest on your show, you've read the books, you've read the talks, you've watched the videos, whatever it is, you've done your homework, which helps you formulate what means most to you. And you've been told over and over and over again by many guests, I've seen it, I've heard it, (laughs) that your interview or your conversation with them has been one of the best they've ever had. Yes, I've been very fortunate to have that experience. um, Kind of hard to be modest about it, but every single one of my conversations have elicited that type of response. And I feel very grateful that it has. um, And I'm honored that I've been able to do that for the viewers and for my guests, and in particular for myself. I was, I benefited most by this more than anyone else in a certain way. So I'm, I'm very grateful. Give me an example of what benefiting you most would look like in your world. Well, I think two things, and this I think holds true for for virtually everyone. The thing that I find benefits me the most is when I have a philosophical or psychological or sociological belief and then get it reinforced by my guest or by something I've read, or if I am awakened to something brand new. So it works twofold. It either is something that I have been pondering all my life, and now I see it uh, in somebody's work that's really researched it, or it's something I haven't even thought of, and that then enlightens me. So I, I get enlightened in two different ways. That's got to be so powerful, just the momentum or connection or depth of having a realization of something you either really believed and, and it's having it cemented or having some epiphany around it that really highlights that or being awakened to something new that even you were surprised. Yes. That, again, as I say, those two things, that's the greatest thrill I get when when either of those two things happen. Now, they don't happen in every conversation. It's just because not everything has that depth. But in all the work I do, when I'm able to either, as I said, even when I'm talking to my viewer directly, and I do the research of what I want to talk to them about, and I get it reinforced, or while doing so, I learn something new, it's the same exact effect. Do you think that those pieces help build the the complicated beautiful person that we know ourselves to be? Or is it when we have a chance to have a moment to learn something, it just makes everything more simpler? You know what? I I think it works on both levels. I, I really do. I think it does allow people to get the information and digest it in, in a simple form. The the mission itself that I have is that people do develop a greater appreciation for their world and a deeper understanding of their role in it. So it it is sort of a mission. So it doesn't happen accidentally. It happens on purpose because that's 
what I set it out to do. I believe that it's part of the human experience, that that's what we're here to do, is to dig and deep and swim and evaluate and reflect and internalize. And that over time, as we weave in and out of those worlds, we're forming a vision of ourself that we can more closely identify with. I believe that wholeheartedly. So when you started doing this work, what was it that was your initial driver? Was it something that was missing or something you were super curious about or something you said, I'm going to prove this is really what it's about? Wish I could take such a lofty approach to it. (laughs) The truth was uh, I was given an opportunity to do a show. And at that time, I thought it would be a very great way to make money. That's the bottom line, how it started. Even though I had to make my own investment to start the show because I wasn't given any money, I was given the opportunity to do the show for a PBS station in Chicago. It only after not making any money on it for 23 years, realizing all the other benefits that were coming along that I grew in to that mode. So it was not something, I I didn't initially start it uh, that way. It was a a bit more of a a selfish uh, reason to a certain extent. And not that I think that there's anything wrong. I think being selfish is, in a certain way, if it's if it's selfish without being solely selfish, but selfish that you wish to benefit yourself as much as you then would wish to benefit others. I don't regret that that was the way I started, but it is the way I, I started it. I thought this was, I, I remember as a young man, uh, one of my first jobs was working for a packer that sold food for supermarkets. And I'll never forget at that time, I was a young man and I thought the man who was I was working with was an old man. He probably was in his 30s. I was 18. And I remember him telling me that the most important thing in retail is shelf space. Heard that. I never left my mind. And I looked at what I was doing when I was given an opportunity to have shelf space. That was my duty to fill it. So it it came out of more of a more of a selfish mode when I started. But as I said, it grew into something much larger than that. And that's part of the blessing I feel I got as well, because by it growing that way, I grew that way. And to this day, uh, I, I benefit by that experience. Who was your first major wish list guest that you landed that you were like, wow. Well, I've been very fortunate. My first guest was Mario Puzo, who wrote The Godfather. Uh, My producer at the time, Joel Bailey, convinced him that this would be a great experience. So even without any guests prior to it, my first guest was Mario Puzo. Wow. Some others that would be like that. I remember when she refused to do any interviews but mine, and that was uh, Queen Noor of Jordan. That was a very exciting. Some others were uh, Ron Howard, who really wanted to be on my show. Another was uh, one of my favorite of all times was uh, Richie Havens, who later gave me feedback that was just unbelievable. And he was such a spiritual and soulful man. And and recently, in fact, uh, I'm kind of weirdly blessed that as a as a major fan of the Doors, uh, the the great L.A. rock and roll group from the seventies, 
I'm still in touch with John Densmore, the drummer of The Doors, and having that kind of relationship with someone that you admire is extremely joyful. Uh, I have that relationship with Robert Greene, the author of The 48 Laws of Power. I have that relationship. I had it with Ray Manzarek, another member of The Doors. I've had these wonderful relationships with people that I admired, who I found out later admired me. And I don't know, you you can't get much higher. And I mean higher, not as far I as, you know, <laughs> I mean, like I got a high by, yes. by, by knowing that. And uh, it still gives me a great thrill. What was something that you discovered when you can have these conversations with these people and they were meaningful that sometimes people that we think we know because of who we see on TV or in movies are nothing like we imagine. And sometimes we meet people that surprise us, like for good and bad. What's it like when you meet somebody and it either elevates or diminishes your whatever perception you might have had? For the most part, I have been very blessed that I have felt elevated. And let's say I have, they have not disappointed. 90% of the time, the people that came on were even better than I would have hoped they would be. But there is that 10% of the time where this is going to sound very strange, Jana, but some of the, quote, most famously spiritual people that I had on my show and met were the least spiritual. And those were the ones that truly disappointed me when so many people in the world really followed what these people believed and said. And then I met them and they were really in their soul, not that great. That disappointment is far worse than even the high you get when you are surprised by someone's depth and spirituality. So I found that, and that has happened. What's creepy is those that are outwardly more known for their spirituality and quote their wisdom when you meet them and they're the opposite. What really annoys me is not so much how I feel about them, feel they've scammed the world. And that's, uh, that depresses me. I don't let that out while I'm conversing with them and I still do my best to bring out their salient points. It's not that their message is necessarily bad, but they themselves do not live, or as they say, they do not walk the talk. And that's disappointing. I think with identity, it's who we see in the world. It's who we project because we're seeing them as we see through ourselves. So we're projecting some of our stuff in the mix when we're seeing somebody. And as they present themselves to the world, it's almost like a hologram. That's the way I describe it in my book, Me, Myself, and I, when I talk about the selfie, the projection of this hologram version of people. Sometimes people get conditioned and that's like all they can put out there. But I wonder who they are when they go home at night, when they're alone. That's exactly what I think when I see that <laughs> projection and then meet them. And I turn and I turn to my wife and my son, who's my, both of them work on the show with me. And my son's my director and producer and editor. And my wife is, well, she's the main boss of everything. We, we sit back and talk and we just go, how do people get that way? What do they do when they go home? 
I always found this to be true. The people that feel so good about themselves are usually those who aren't and those who are so much more humble and even more questioning of themselves are usually the most wisdom-filled humans that I've met. Years of doing this, I find that the people that have that type of attitude usually go home pretty comfortably because they're there to just give out this advice and that's they're, they're acting as salesmen and shills. It's the people that really do have a deep caring and a soulful insight that have more troubles in a certain way. It's, it's sad to say that, but it's true. Those that don't care, don't care. And those that do care, pay a little bit for that. Let's talk about your identity. When did, would you say, are you who you always have been or have you shifted, changed, morphed? How old are you now, if you don't mind me asking? I don't, 65. All right, so at 65, was there ever a time in your midlife where things became a little wonky? Was there like a transitionary time during midlife for you or was it pretty smooth sailing? First of all, I never had it smooth sailing. So it was always in transition. My life has always been one of transitioning from one thing to the next thing to the next thing. So as myself, there's a, a part of me that I know has gone unchanged that I feel I've been innately either at the earliest point of nurturing or literally as part of my nature that has not changed. And I recall it from the very beginnings of memory. There is definitely a level of wisdom, of patience, of understanding that I say didn't develop until way past even what I would call midlife, but more into the my 50s and things like that. So you're saying it's been all a continuation of more of the same, just varying degrees of it at various points. Yeah, I mean, and, and with peaks and valleys. I mean, there are certain things that will, will high as I could imagine going in life. And then there were those things that were of a, more of a depression. And, you know, so there, there definitely were, were peaks and valleys. And of course, I think if you can do this and really stick your mind on those peaks, it'll really help you get through a lot of those valleys. So I, I, I'm very blessed to have a, a few peaks that really, really stick with me. What were some of the things that prompted the depression and what were some of the things that pulled you out? Like when you imagine those times of, I call it the dark flight of the self. And when you're in the midst of those times, what was it? Was it not feeling like you would accomplish certain things or was it more about not feeling satisfied with the work or melancholy? Like what were those things about? I think a lot of it had to do with, as you said, just uh, the, cause of unhappiness is expectation. And I've had very high expectations. So therefore, when those expectations weren't met, they caused what we would call lows in my, in my life. When certain things exceeded things that I never expected, those things caused great joy. How I get out of one from the other 
does vary. Uh, a lot of times, it's simply I'm I'm very blessed to have a, a phenomenal wife who can pick me up uh, out of my doldrums almost uh, within an instant once we're together. So that's a, a blessing. On my own, uh, it sometimes is a little bit tougher. But as I said, I, I am blessed with a variety of things I've done in my life that would be true accomplishments. And if I can focus in on them, I'll get out of my depression. Also, I have the wonderful communication with my viewers and my listeners, and they'll write me letting me know how much I've influenced them. And that also is a, a natural pick-me-up. Uh, there's, there's no doubt about it. That's something that I have, uh, and I don't know uh, how many other people could have that, but I do have that. Uh, lots of viewers and, and people that write me and let me know. So, um, and, and I and now also as one ages, and I don't know if it's, this doesn't happen just because of age. I think it happens because of age if you are self-reflective and doing more of knowing yourself. I've seen people in their 80s who are as lame as they were when they were three. So it's not just age, it's aging and continuously developing and probing yourself to see what you're about. It's that self-inner reflection and also seeing what the world is about. So I, I think the the time, too, played a factor for me. And has, as I say, take those times that are feeling down and compress them to the point where they're the most smallest part of my life and not the larger part of my life. And that I have been successful in doing. So uh, as a younger person, I think they took up a little bit more space and now they take up very little space. I, I would say now I've achieved a state, uh, as, as the book by Michael Jordan said, I mean, William Jordan, uh, a, a certain majesty of calmness. There's no doubt about it. I have uh, achieved a great level of that, and I'm aware of it. And that true blessing to finally be able to say that. Yeah, I mean, I think people feel things, they go through things, but I don't know that they're always aware of it when they're in the midst of it. So the fact that you're able to be aware of it as it's happening is probably one of the greatest signs of self-awareness or self-allowance uh, that we can give to ourselves, making room for those things. Most definitely. I wish, I, I only wish upon the world that everyone has that opportunity. So when you think about a search for self, what are some of the things that come to your mind about how we do it or why we do it? Well, why we do it is that's inbred in humanity. Once we develop that frontal lobe, there was nothing but the ability to do that. That's what that frontal lobe separates us from everything else is that is the human quest. It's, the, it's outside of survival. It's the quest for knowledge. It's as, I think, instinctual as, as anything. Now, why do some people have it greater than others? That's also part of humanity. We need that mix. If everyone was just thinking deeply, we wouldn't have others to do work that needs to be done that doesn't require thinking deeply. So there's, there's no, it's not necessarily better to be one or the other as far as I think the universe looks down upon us. 
But um, there is no doubt that for the most part, uh, I believe that the quest for knowledge, the quest for curiosity, the quest for understanding has been within us since the beginning or very close beginning to our humankind. Are we able to know ourselves? Well, I think that that's the great line is you really, to know thyself is to know you don't know thyself. <laughs> the, the greatest thing you can really do. You can't really know yourself, but your goal is to continue to strive to do so. But the bottom line is uh, it can't really happen. It's just like uh, impossible to achieve perfection. You can only be good enough. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible. I, I don't think, you know, it's like the, the man who climbs the mountaintop and the, the guru just says, uh, why are you here? <laughs> you know, it's like, you don't need to climb the mountaintop. We all do the best that we can do. Problem is we don't all appreciate that within ourselves. You mean our ability or our lack of ever achieving something that's unachievable? Nothing's unachievable to a certain extent. I mean, we're, as humans, we I, I think we'll be able to really excel at achieving uh, as we continue to evolve. But I do think its concern is is the lack of kindness we give to ourselves. Too many good people are too harsh on themselves. And I think uh, uh, the most important thing we can do as good people is have the ability to forgive ourselves and be kinder to ourselves. I definitely would agree with that assessment. And, you know, I think there's times when I feel like I know myself, I have a fleeting moment or a feeling or something is internalized and I actually say, I get it like in this moment, it's fleeting and it changes and it's always changing. So as much as I think I know, I really don't know, like the moment leaves and then there's a new moment where I'm presented with something new that I'm trying to discover or learn. I think I listened to one of your interviews one time where you were talking about the relentless search I mean, you've talked about that a lot in many of your interviews, but there was one that stood out to me about sort of the nature of it, that it's just a necessary component is that it's always going to be that way. It is. In fact, the, the title of my book that I'm, I'm completing is The Things I've Learned But Still Don't Know. And I think to internalize information and knowledge is what true wisdom is. And it is one of the hardest things to do is to internalize and understand and really grasp to the fact that it is an endless search. And that I think is, on one sense, if you can accept it, the beauty. Do you like yourself? Most of the time I do. Yes. Now I, 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 in fact, I more than like myself, I have a, a, a very good ego and I always have, even when I am disappointed in some of the expectations that haven't occurred, the liking of myself, the feeling of my ability and my Humanity and my goodness has rarely left the planet. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't have any 
issues with that. I'm very, very blessed. Maybe it's uh, parents who gave the most unconditional love imaginable. Oh, as I said, a, a wife and family that is there and supports. But I've always had a good sense of my ego. I have not been, I, I have very little fears and, and concerns. I'm, I'm very blessed with that. And those that I did have, I was able to come close to eliminating not elim- you never eliminate anything but as i said if i can just narrow those margins down of the things that are negative and increase those things that are positive that's my goal and i have been able to do- to achieve that and it's interesting you said ego and you use that do you think ego and self awareness are the same thing no not necessarily the same thing i think though self awareness in fact you can have with a very horrible ego just for the record, you could be self-aware that your ego is horrible. <laughs> I mean, so I don't think they're the same thing. But when you asked me how I felt about myself, that's where I think the ego comes in. And that's why I mentioned I, I feel good about myself. And I'm blessed that that's because I got to know myself better. But it could go the other way around. <laughs> I just hope it doesn't for most people. So for anybody who might be confused or in the middle of something and trying to figure out who they are, what would you want them to know about the search itself? That it's ongoing, it's forever, and that the worst of times, as the wise men told King Solomon, those two shall pass. So if I can give anybody something, uh, it's that those bad times will pass if you let them flow through you and that nothing is really final and nothing is really fatal. And if you just keep moving and going forth with the best that, as John Wooden used to say, success is measured by you being able to know that you've done the best and been the best that you can be. And as long as you can keep that in your consciousness, you're going to fare far better than if you substitute it with the worst. That's beautiful. That's really nice. Uh, I I gave credit to where it was due, I hope. All right. Well, is there anything else you want to add? This has been a great conversation. I appreciate your your time. Well, I am honored that you allowed me to appreciate you and, uh, I've always uh, admired your self-exploration. I think your book was, uh, is phenomenal. I'm so glad you took the time to, to write it. I think it'll help so many people. It sheds a lot of light on yourself. But what I've always believed is when you shed light on yourself, because we are all part of this great human family, you are shedding light on others as well. I hope so. I mean, I think I told you earlier when we were talking that I had spent years getting the book to this point and it just came out like three weeks before the coronavirus stuff started hitting and it kind of put a lot on hold, but I am not unique in that situation. Many people have had many things on hold. So that's where it's an opportunity for me. It's like, well, where where do I want to go now? If I had hung my hat on the fact that this book was going to come out and it was going to go a certain direction and feel a certain way and do certain things, and none of those things 
turned out the way it did. Isn't that life? So now like, how am I going to reframe it, get it out there again? And in, in a different conversation or a different way, whatever it is, everybody's doing di- different things now. So now I have to figure out what does that mean for me? Yeah. It's a constant reinvention. These things, as I, I gave you examples earlier when we talked about things that happened and they're beyond your control. I think the one thing you really, really have to let go of is when it's beyond your control. When it's within your control, then do everything you can to make it happen. But most of life is just literally randomness. That is, uh, if, if I've learned anything from some of the great physicists like Leonard Mladenov I had on my show, life is 99.99% randomness. And the only thing that we control is how many at-bats we'll take and how many times we'll swing. And remember this, if you hit it only out of the, if you even just hit the ball, just one out of three times or three out of 10 times, you'll make it to the Hall of Fame. I appreciate that. And you deserve to be in the Hall of Fame. You're an amazing human being and very inspirational. And I recommend everybody watches your show just between us. And it's been fascinating to watch you evolve in this show. Every time I watch it, I get something out of it, especially when I'm feeling down. I'm like, oh, I don't really want to, I don't really feel like being confronted with <laughs> anything uh, inspirational right now. I want to wallow in my pity for a while, but I'll still force myself and I'll watch your show. And I'm always glad I did. Yeah. I let people wallow in their pity while they watch my show. <laughs> it's not all, it's, it doesn't happen often. It's just lately, but you've always been a source of inspiration and wisdom for me that I've respected a great deal. Thank you, Jenner. And it's been an honor to be on your show. All right, everybody. Identity Talk, Barry Kibrick, just between us on his YouTube channel. I will post his Twitter and social media and YouTube channels uh, on the podcast page. Everybody take good care. Be safe. Give love. Thanks so much for listening to Identity Talk with Jana Lopez. It's been a real honor. If you've enjoyed what you've heard, share it with someone you think is in need. And if you haven't already, subscribe, rate, and review this show on your favorite podcast player. If you have any questions or comments or would like to connect with me about one-on-one midlife coaching or to purchase the book, Me, My Selfie, and I, a midlife conversation about lost identity, grief, and seeing who you are, visit www.janalopez.com. Lastly, if and when you should have a moment of doubt, because we all do in the middle of the midlife transitions and changes, remember that seeing is relieving. Really